where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurengai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tafanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. Oh, it's Saturday. I'm so happy to be recording. Cute. I just have to apologize. It is incredibly windy here in Windy Wellington today, so you might hear that on the background. There's wind here too. It's like gusting against stuff. We're just going to have some background weather, I think. Yeah. And by windy, I mean like a nice gentle breeze by Wellington standards. Nothing to write home about, really. Let me look up. Let me tell you what the wind is doing. I bet it's like gusting at 140 or something ridiculous yep let's see there's the go the one weather warning is running right now gusts oh it's not that bad only a hundred hundred k ours are 40 gales gusting 110 kilometers per hour oh so. uh, yeah ours are 39 kilometers per hour that's what it says but the humidity's down which is probably why i need chapstick every five seconds um hey so what sparked joy for you this week I think it was our rant on WhatsApp about Snape getting a redemption arc and Draco not getting one. And I think we both had really good points, but probably my favorite thing was that we both agreed that it was really lovely that Snape was like personal about his adoration of Lily and didn't like make it her problem. Mm. Like, that's the way to be. If you're going to be like in love with someone unrequited for all of your life, don't pester yeah. him about it. Yeah, he was like, he very much yeah. kept it on his own, right? Like, yes, he was unrequited, but he wasn't like antagonistic with her about it. He didn't make it her problem. He wasn't like like and Sally about it exactly exactly and then the, just the injustice of Draco not getting his own redemption arc I loved that conversation and it made me think a lot about it because also I was having that conversation with you while I was out to dinner with my family which was always a fun thing to do more Greek street food for us so delicious yeah how about you what sparked joy for you this week Oh, well, I went to, we had our book club Mm -hmm. meeting this morning. So we went and did a bougie brunch, which was exciting. So it was like two hours, you know, lots of pastries, lots of delicious food. And it was so much food, like so much food. I'm still in pain. And it is like now, (laughs) what, 5.30? And we got to take the leftovers home. So I'm just going to have like a mini cheese board for dinner later if I'm actually hungry. But it was just so lovely. It was just like, you know, these are people I see all the time, regardless of whether we're in book club or not. Like I see them all independently and we talk on WhatsApp and stuff. But when we get together, we have such interesting conversations like I feel like we really push each other to to think outside the box to think about our Mm. lived experiences about things like today we talked a lot about like polyamory and things like that so it's very interesting to get different perspectives and to just think outside of the norm it's cool it's a cool way to just hang out with people I love that what's that that Nick Hornby quote about it's not what you are like but what you like I think it's actually what you think about things that are important like that's that's the thing that you really vibe with other people, where they sit on things. What the third thing is in that relationship, no matter what that relationship is. I just think also sometimes you make assumptions about people. You'd be like, oh, you know, they're going to think X about something because of how they are. And you're like, that's fine. You're, mm. You get on well with them, your mates, whatever. But you have a preconception about how they're going to yeah. react to something. And then when you talk about these things, you're like, oh, wow, they actually have really different ideas than I yeah. would have expected. Which is really cool. That really leads it well with our theme of curiosity, hey? Um, yeah, so yeah, this week we're reading chapters 11 to 14 through the theme of curiosity. So do you have a story for us? Uh, kind of. Curiosity and confusion seem to go hand in hand with me because... I tend to just assume I know what I'm doing unless I really don't. And then when I'm confused, I go, wait, what's happening? Um, which I think is a fairly normal human experience. But um, specifically today, I wanted to talk about two things. Um, one is that I want to know. That's just me. Like if you if you could distill me down into one sentence, it would be, yeah, Gen D wants to know. How are you? I want to know. Like, what have you been up to? I want to know. Tell me the details. This is what I want to know. I remember when I was younger and I read this book. It's in the Emily of New Moon trilogy, which is by... Uh, Maud Montgomery, same author as Anne of Green Gables. In the third book, I think, this is a bit of a spoiler, but her teacher dies. And this teacher of hers had pushed her to be a better writer and had responded to her ambition by being even harder on her and had not let her get away with using italics too much or using silly turns of phrase or using the wrong word when she just thought it sounded poetic. 
I mean, he was really hard on her, but she really respected and loved him. So when he was dying, you know, he's talking about going out with the tide. That You know, this is the, the Maritimes in Canada. So a lot of it is sea-themed, ocean-themed, linked to nature and the ocean. So he's talking about how he's going to die. He's going to go out with the tide. And he says, I can't wait to know, Jade. He calls her Jade. I just can't wait. As soon as I get past this, like once I'm out of this, this mortal life, I'm going to know. And that's all I've ever wanted. And I just felt like, oh yeah, Mr. Carpenter, I completely understand you because I also want to know. But the flip side of that is that often curiosity can be destructive. Sometimes I'm asking questions about a situation because my brain is saying, you need all of the context to really know what's going on. But my friend or my partner or my kids are like, can you just listen and stop asking? Like, I just want to tell you that this person is a complete terrible moron and I want to, and I'm like, okay, but I need to know where were they born? What school did they go to? Did they eat that day? Or like, and, and what this happens is it kind of creates these bad feelings in a relationship and it can destroy the trust. But yeah, so I think curiosity can be a really good asset in that driving me toward understanding myself and others better. But I also have to be really careful about how if I don't check it, it might be destructive. It might not be the thing that's needed at the time. So something to think about. I really like curiosity and I love being a curious person. So there you hmm. go. Yeah, I always think of that Ted Lasso quote, you know, be curious, not judgmental. I always think yeah. of you when I hear that. I'm like, that's so you. Also, can I just say, like, Jindy Wants to Know is a great name for a podcast. You should absolutely <laughs> just have a podcast called that where you just, like, have a topic on the day that you talk about. Oh, my gosh, that would be amazing. It could be anything as well. You're like, Jindy Wants to Know about felt tip liners so we're going to talk about the history of felt tip liners on this episode <laughs> you're a genius i'm gonna write that down i would absolutely love to do that it'd be so fun it's kind of like getting curious with jonathan van ness but obviously you're delightful yeah, this would just be my own little mini research project yeah and you can do them like monthly or whatever you know yeah. just whatever schedule you want queue them all up and then never publish them <laughs> exactly that's the spirit <laughs> Um, okay, I'll do our chapter summaries and then we can crack on because already something you've said has made me think about what I wanted to talk about this section. So I just want to say one thing. I have decided to call them the soap bubble because their school is called soap and we have the gangsy from the Raven Cycle and I was like, they need a name. This gang needs a name. So I've called them the soap bubble, but you can totally not call them that if you want to. <laughs> no, that's fine. I don't. I have no, no attachment. So soap bubble is fine. <laughs> So the soap bubble is off to see it happens one night and Sinclair crashes their outing and it gets kind of charged in dark cinema. And there's a lot of weird tension between them. Um, in beginning French, Dave teases Anna and ends up landing her with more homework, but tries to make up for it by asking her out. Um, no, she's not interested, no. she thinks. Um, the bubble decide to have a picnic in the cemetery in honor of for Halloween, but amidst their revelry, Sinclair gets some bad news from home. So just to start us off, you were talking mm. about curiosity potentially being destructive and what i wanted to ask you was the line between curiosity and gossip because yeah. you have this moment in this section where rashmi and meredith are talking about sinclair and ellie fighting and like yeah. josh doesn't get involved but obviously anna is also like ooh, listening into them talking about it and i'm like that's them being curious about the relationship between sinclair and ellie and being curious about ellie's kind of situation because they haven't seen her so there's a lot yeah. of weird tension there but at what point does curiosity become gossip become bad you know yeah 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 i know the part you're talking about and i did feel like it was just coming from a place of real hurt on rashmi's part and meredith as well like Meredith has a lot of complicated feelings for Sinclair where she really likes him, likes him, and is hurt by the fact that he's with Ellie and is hurt by the fact that he obviously likes Anna, but she can't really do anything about that. So when Rashmi starts saying, oh, she thinks she's too good for us, yeah, and now she's dressing all Parisian, and then Rashmi's like, oh, but she's always been like that. Like, there's this weird moment of, like, Rashmi maybe being crabby but then defending her former best friend that it does feel like Mare was ready to pile on, but maybe Rashmi wasn't actually ready to pile on. Like, I feel like they're coming from a real place of like just being super hurt by this but not being able to do anything about it. Mm, I think that's very much a youth thing. That's where I saw the theme of youth the mm, most was kind of this yeah. fear of being left behind and how hard it is when your friendships fall apart when you're younger. Like it feels like such a betrayal when you're young. These like... Yeah. There's so much insecurity. There's so much lack of confidence and such jealousy as well. Like Meredith, for example, would be feeling jealousy because Anna's hanging out with Sinclair, right? But Anna's like, I'm not doing anything wrong. We're just friends. And then Rashmi obviously has a lot of, like, this is her, they were best friends. Like Ellie yeah. and Rashmi were best mates. And now Ellie has not even reached out to her. That is like a deep betrayal on Rashmi's part. Also, she calls her Ellen and not mm. Ellie, which I think is really telling. Yeah, the more adult sounding name, not the kid nickname. 
Yeah, and I just, like, this is the kind of thing that I absolutely loathe. I just hated this about being young. This is one of the worst things. It's just that insecurity, this feeling of, like, being replaceable, of being not wanted. And then as soon as you started talking to someone else, another friend will have a crack at you because, like, I thought we were best friends. Now you're calling her your best friend. And I'm, like, so glad that that is behind me. Like, I'm so thankful for that because it's the worst feeling. Yeah, it's a really hard line to navigate, isn't it? You don't really have the perspective of, I'm going to have a lot of friends and my friends will grow and they might be a friend for a reason or a season or whatever. You just don't know because you haven't had enough enough of those friendships to really figure it out. You know, you've said it before, best friend is a tear, right? So once you make that distinction, once you realize that you have lots of different friends for different reasons and they all fulfill different things, that doesn't mm. mean that they are worth listening to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Your life gets so much fuller. Yeah, and different friends have different places in your life. Like, there are people that I've gone way, way back with that I would consider very close friends, so I might not talk to that much. But, like, when I need them, I need them. And when they need me, they need me. And that's that that relationship works in that space, in that time. And there's, like, they don't have to be all the, all the time present, ever present. There's definitely different levels to that. I like Bethany's idea of you have soulmates, plural, mm. but they're not necessarily your romantic person like they can just be someone that you really really vibe with so I think yeah it's it's hard when you're young you don't have that perspective you don't know that there are more friendships that are going to be greater and better and more fulfilling and also we all do change it's going to happen for Rashmi she's going to change next year it's going to happen for Meredith and for Anna and for Sinclair yeah. and for Josh like it's all going to happen for them they're all going to change and they're going to leave people behind that are going to be hurt by that but they don't really know how to deal with it themselves just yet because every feeling when you're that young every feeling is the first time you felt that right like everything yeah. feels so much bigger this is your first betrayal your first heartbreak all these things that with time you know that you've been there before or you felt it before you can name it you can deal with it but when it's the first time it's hard yes it, yeah it's very hard I love that you pointed that out I thought that was a really interesting conversation I thought the dynamics were very well drawn in that I'm a little snippy but you're not allowed to be snippy because she's my best friend still like Rashmi still obviously yeah. loves Ellie and feels like she's the only one allowed to really pull her up for it. It's like how you're allowed to complain about your parents, but when someone else says something mean about them, you're like, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> um, I did look up curiosity. Mm -hmm. It has two meanings, which is a strong desire to learn or know something, which is mostly the lens that I looked through this week. But there's also the curiosity as a noun, as in a strange or interesting object or fact. And I want to talk a little bit about Sinclair being a collector of curiosities. Like, mm -hmm. this is a guy who loves little factoids. He's the trivia guy. He's the one you want on your pub quiz trivia team, isn't he? Because he knows all of the things. So he knows about how many cats live in this particular cemetery. Um, he knows all of these different things about, well, what were they talking about in the last section? Oh, um, Rasputin. He's got the whole history of Rasputin memorized because he thinks it's so fascinating. So he knows the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery. I love how much he collects these little facts and how much he really enjoys not only history, but like the lived world. I thought that was a really lovely way of him being curious about his life and the world without being like a sticky beaker nosy. Because there is that line between being nosy and being curious. You've just jarred my memory. I have a colleague who also has lots of random facts and once at a party, I was like a work party. I was like, why do you know this? And he's like, I feel like I have to know these info like these tidbits of information in order to be interesting. Otherwise people won't talk to me. And I'm like, Aww. whoa, okay. That got really deep real quickly. But that's, um, yeah, interesting. Hey, like he felt like he has to wear these factoids as armor in order to yeah. be interesting to people. Oh, dude, you're a perfectly <laughs> valid person on your own. That's rough, buddy. Yeah. Insecurity, hey. Yeah. I love that cemetery, by the way. If you're ever in Paris, go to Pierre Lachey. It's great. I have not been to that one. It's the one with Oscar Wilde in it as well. I thought there was a lot of youth in that cemetery where they were chasing each other around and having a picnic and then like goofing off with a statue. That was so funny. I was very dismissive of the chasing around. I'm like, what are you, five? Why are you chasing each other around the monuments? Ugh. <laughs> It's because Children. they're literally teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Some of this book feels so young. It feels so young. I mean, I love it because it feels young and it feels genuine. It doesn't feel like a grown-up is writing about kids. You know what I mean? I feel like this is an actual teenage perspective or close enough that it's it's legitimate. I definitely felt a lot of this stuff as a teenager myself. Like, I don't really like this guy, but do I maybe like this guy? He did call me beautiful. <laughs> Like that hit me like I was like, oh, yeah, whoops, <laughs> we've all been that idiot, haven't we? Maybe not you. You're very cool. But yeah, no, I was definitely that idiot. <laughs> cool or oblivious. These are the <laughs> options. You're just like, mm, no, thank you. I do not want to be perceived. And that includes compliments. <laughs> it does feel young. Yeah. It's in, in a good way for me. But yeah. 
I feel like curiosity about other people is how we foster relationships, right? It's the curiosity. If you're not curious about people, you're never going to foster like or build a relationship with them. You're not going to get to know them. You need that genuine interest. You need to genuinely care about not just asking the question, but what the answer is that they give you. Yeah. Which is the difference between like, for me, between small talk and my friends. Like, you know, I will ask someone in the work kitchen, oh yeah, what are you up to this weekend? And then not retain that information at all. But if I'm asking my friends, you know, what are you doing this weekend? I will retain that information. You know, like that's the difference. Can you really? Like I retain all of it. No, if it's not someone I care about, I do not. Like I'm just talking for the sake of getting out of there. Like I have to say something. So I'm saying something, but I don't care what this random guy is doing this weekend. Like I literally do not care. I do not want to talk to him in the first place, but social convention insists that I do. So here I am. (laughs) I was just thinking if it's someone I work with enough to see and kind of like put a face and a name to, then I would definitely retain it. Yeah. It goes in the friend file. There are 120 people on my floor. My direct team is about 22 people. I know their names, but I do not know the other people's names on the floor. I've been there for almost two and a half years. I yeah. People will be like, who said that to you, Jen? I'm like, I don't know. Bold of you to assume that I know who that person is. I didn't stop and ask them for their name. <laughs> I can describe them to you. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's cheer pudding guy. Because once he had cheer pudding when he was walking around the floor. So he is cheer pudding guy. <laughs> People have told me his name, but I'm just like, cheer pudding guy. It doesn't stick. That's so funny. You know, I remember stupid stuff about people that they've told me once and then I'll bring it up later and they'll be like, how did you remember that I told you that like very much in passing? I do remember that about people that I've chosen to remember. So if I know Mm. someone's name and then I'm having a conversation with them, I will remember things. I'll be like, oh yeah, how's your cousin Barty who had his wisdom tooth removed? Like, and they'll be like, (laughs) what? How do you know about that? Well, you told me at that party that one time. Mm. So I retain that. But if it's just like randos, forget about it. Yeah, fair enough. Sorry, Randy. Anyway, that was a tangent. You're allowed to have tangents. Yeah, curiosity is kind of important to building relationships. If you're not curious, how do you learn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, I think there are some ways that Anna uses that. She's very curious about her friendships, I think. And it's really obvious in that she wants to know what the deal with Josh is. She doesn't want to talk about her dad. She doesn't want to make herself any more vulnerable before she really knows the lay of the land, which is pretty smart, in my opinion. But also, you know, she's being a bit protective. So she asked Josh a question. Where is it? Page 108. She says, I decide to ask Josh a question before he can ask me one. And I think she's kind of weaponizing curiosity in that way, using it as a protective measure so she doesn't have to talk about herself or think about her dad because she's still really feeling like he's done this to me and my life sucks um even though she's actually having an okay time in that same section as well she then that's where we see curiosity actually appear in the text because mm-hmm. you know on page 110 she says curiosity gets the bit of me and i lower my voice what's his deal because she's asking about sinclair's dad yeah yeah they're all part of the bad dad club her josh and sinclair I love that she has that line being like, "What does everyone have terrible fathers? Is that an entry requirement or whatever it is to getting in here? And it has some great one-liners. She gives as good as she gets, which I really enjoy. I do wonder if her curiosity is... Like, she then follows it up with a lot of really sensible questions when she's talking to Josh. She follows that up with a lot of sensible questions like, tell me about your art. Is this what you want to do for a living? And like, what's your home life like? And your dad's really a senator, a senator, senator. And then, you know, she goes off on that tangent like, this is ridiculous. Why does my dad think I should go to school with the children of senators? Well, everybody should go to school with the children of senators because senators are not like better than regular people. They're meant to be civil servants. But anyway, I love that she's attempting this connection, this communication. I do feel for her because she also has that line. She goes, with Sinclair to his room so he can give her this gift and she sees that he's got the OED and she's like oh it's brand new and like obviously it's very expensive and she has this little tangent about money and she says on page 113 dad may have wanted me to to give me a fancy education but he isn't concerned about my daily expenses and this makes me so irrationally angry because he's setting her up for failure he's sending her to this posh school where everyone is already richer than she is then he's withholding money which means she can't have the full experience because she cannot go out and socialize with these people who live in a different world to her yeah how can you be curious in that environment you know like you're automatically setting her up for a hard time and then he says oh you need to learn to live within your means which i agree with like i don't think you need to give people loads of money but you can't you can't have it both ways you can't send her to the school and then be like man live within your means no i mean the whole point of being in paris is that you can go out and do stuff in paris right that's the whole point i was actually talking about this with my 11 year old and she was saying oh i didn't know that you could go on exchange and i'm like you absolutely could because she's taking french now and i said if you keep taking french all through high school and you want to do a year or half a year in, in, in France as a, an exchange student. I think that would be a great experience. And meanwhile, I'm saying this, my heart is breaking. and I'm going, no, don't do it. But, you know, the right thing to do is to encourage her to spread her wings. So I was just, just thinking about that as like, yeah, of course I would provide her with everything she needed. I would trust her to be able to do those things. I know that she would be looked after by the 
host family or whatever too but it's weird that Anna's dad's really on this like power trip where he's doing this magnanimous thing but really it is for himself and this is one of the ways that we see that this is for himself yeah and I just don't understand how it's for him like I don't understand like just so he can say that his daughter goes to this posh school like when he's at parties or something is that the only reason I think and then so, for yeah. him to say no and that dumb email he sends her and he's like yeah I'll give your best to your brother like and she's quite upset by that as well because he's so not present in their lives he obviously doesn't give them enough financial support because her mum is scraping by yeah he's just a bad dad like definitely a terrible father and look there's something to be said for not being able to afford to look after your kids that does happen and I completely understand it but this guy has the means and just isn't showing up to do that come on at a certain point you have to stop pretending that you're doing a good job and just actually accept the fact that you're a deadbeat and give them enough allowance to have nice things make their lives easier in that way so frustrating um i think there are a few moments where anna is very curious but she's not really letting herself be curious so she on page 100 she says ellie may be friendly enough in person but it's clear she no longer needs her soap friends even i can see that nobody has actually talked to ellie to know this like sinclair sees her but i get the feeling they don't talk about this like they don't really talk about that particular thing no one has asked her why she hasn't come back to visit or why she hasn't like at least made a coffee date to say i'm so busy i'm so sorry yeah i mean that's not like they're reaching out to her either so Mm -hmm. in a way ellie can feel like actually they don't want me because i'm the one who left and they've got their click still right so i actually don't fit into them so that is a whole other thing and i think it's really interesting i mark that line as well because she says she no longer needs her soap friends i think the use of need is very interesting in that sentence Mm. like need is doing a lot of work because it suggests that the friendship is only based on what you can provide for others like and she says this again later and i will touch on this in my in-depth marginalia when Mm. she says um sinclair doesn't need her doesn't need anna and i'm like why are you so obsessed with need as the word here. I think because need is a bigger thing than want and she keeps having to remind herself that she doesn't want Sinclair and if it actually came down to it she would feel very <laughs> uncomfortable with the truth of that. I think yeah I think she she is curious you're right but I feel like she is reserved in her curiosity around Sinclair because she set up these boundaries yeah. for herself. Yeah yeah. So she can't afford to be curious about him right it's like she, do, she hasn't previously asked about his room she hasn't asked about his dad and he asks her questions all the time. Oh and he and remembers for example, stuff he's like yeah and he's looking over her shoulder when she's like making a note about buying a ticket like he's all up in her business all the time and she doesn't allow herself to be which i think is very much a protection mechanism yeah she views him as extremely off limits like he's off limits and then he's a little more off limits because even if he was single then meredith should get first crack at him which is a very teenage way to think and not at all how relationships work like you don't just go down the line yeah i mean but also yeah it does crack me up that she's like meredith would have first dibs like no but what does sinclair say about that the whole situation makes me very uncomfortable like even when she says on page 111 mer looks hurt and for a moment i feel guilty but it's not like i'm stealing him from her and i'm just like yikes i hate everything about (laughs) the ick (laughs) like just oh my gosh the mm, Mm. the drama of it like i just I, i didn't have patience for it as a teen and i definitely don't have patience for it as an adult yeah it's hard to read because you sort of feel like you're aware of your friend being hurt and you need to talk to her about it and you need to just say like what's going on i promise nothing is happening or like i can't help that it's happening or you know like i feel like they need to communicate yeah exactly communication is key in these situations she's aware of it she feels bad about it she's not doing anything about it so i I do think that that interesting moment in his room where he was kind of sussing out where she felt like he's really bad at saying like i feel like there's something between us do we like should we actually talk about it he needs to just say that because she's she's getting real cagey she's reminding herself no i like this other guy i like this other guy i don't like sinclair nope yeah i feel like in that section he was trying to raise it with her you know he says her name he he, like talks about toph but Mm. she she doesn't even look at him and then she runs out of the room right like she's so shut down on the topic and he doesn't really know how to broach it yeah it's like he engineered this way to get her alone so that he could talk to her about it and then she wouldn't talk to him about it yeah another instance of people not communicating i think is you see that when rashmi and sinclair have that fight when on the well 
fight well disagreement on the way to the cinema right where she she's like you pretend like everything is fine and he's like everything is fine and from his point of view everything is actually fine like he doesn't understand where they're coming from why they're having a crack at him it's interesting when you see people talking across purposes like that and like not being on the same footing like they're actually fighting over different things and Mare is the one who gets it Meredith is the one who's like hey this is actually about Ellie hurting her feelings and Sinclair you need to realize that this is about Ellie not turning up and being our friend still like that's why it's a problem not the fact that you're not here that is a factor but it's not the whole story and it's good that she's actually able to say that I feel like she's sort of the the more grown-up of the group yeah I don't think she gets much choice to be fair yeah I was thinking about this in terms of curiosity that like Rashmi's so difficult and she's just kind of negative but Anna's really trying and Josh is really secretive so Anna's really trying like she's got a lot of curiosity about them but she doesn't seem to have the same level of curiosity about Meredith maybe because Meredith is like you can see all that I am on the walls of my room like soccer posters Beatles paraphernalia trinkets this is me like she takes up space and therefore she doesn't have any depth I guess I do feel like Meredith is very absent from the narrative. Like she only mm-hmm. turns up really to be this kind of peacemaker or when there's this moment which is like, oh, you know, Meredith looks upset. But we don't really see Meredith. We don't really get to hear about Meredith's life. Like she's off doing other things and you get Rashmi and Josh together but, and then Sinclair and Anna together. But where's Meredith? Like we don't know yeah. half the time. She's the fifth wheel and it sucks. And like I would imagine how much that would hurt her as well being like one of the OG founding members of this group and then have this interloper come in which again is a very teenage thing like when I started school in Australia I was folded into this friendship group and one of the girls absolutely hated me she did not want me in the group she was not shy about her antagonism and I was kind of like I don't even want to be here like I did not ask to be in this school so I don't know why you're taking that on me. I had one of those too we just ended up in the same friend group and she had absolutely she just loathed me for whatever reason and I didn't really get it like I tried to be nice to her and then I tried to ignore her and nothing really worked but she hated me she hated that I was friends with her friends because that's where it comes from I think it has to be it's a a level of jealousy of having to share your friend like I joined this friendship group which meant you know I became good mates with who was her best friend at the time and so she resented having to share her best friend with me and it's just like oh the tedium of it all (laughs) it is it's very tedious the little one who all of the girls fight over at my daughter's school has just left so I'm pretty grateful for that to be honest because if they can't fight over her then maybe they'll stop fighting with each other. So weird hey. It is. And then sometimes like I feel like it is something you learn as you get older because sometimes I do some like I remember even five years ago someone would be like oh yeah my best friend I'm like what do you mean your best friend am I not your best friend and I'm like I have to remind myself being like you have loads of friends like calm down. <laughs> but there is that kind of instinct. Yeah 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 because we're told that best has to be favorite which is not the way it actually works. Mm. best doesn't have to be best it's like best for this fit this circumstance this life stage i guess in different situations like you don't you know i'll go to the rugby with one friend i might not necessarily take another friend to the rugby because they don't like the rugby but they're perfect to go to the gallery with or go to the movies with or like yeah yeah. anywho interesting we have to be flexible i also think rashmi is projecting when she's like she thinks she's so much better than us now that she's at parsons i'm like rashmi does she think that or have you decided that she thinks that yep 100 percent. i wouldn't want to be friends with someone who is so mad at me for getting older that would be hard absolutely without outside of ellie's control that she had to go to university (laughs) no no i'll fail all my classes and my parents will have to pay for me to go to high school for another year just so we can be friends that's silly Mm. And unrealistic. Rashmi's just unhappy and she just wants to be unhappy. Um, One thing I thought was really interesting, I don't know if you caught this, but it's Anna's idea to go to this movie. She's talked them all into it. They're off together in this little group. Sinclair turns up and he's like, hey, we're going to go see it happen one night, right? And then Meredith and Rashmi are like, what are you doing here? I thought you were busy. This isn't their thing. This is Anna's thing. It cracked me up that they were like, you said you were busy. And he's like, I never said that. But they've just decided that he was not included. So what are you Mm. doing here? And it was just really funny to me that they had sort of hijacked Anna's movie night as their own. Like they're already so much of a group that once they had decided on plans, that was the plan. Hive mind. Yeah. Already hive mind. It's cute. I love it. So, so young. And to be fair, he never said he had plans. Anna had just assumed that. I think it's a fair assumption, but yeah. I also don't think that he would pass up the opportunity to spend time with Anna if she asks, but she hasn't really parsed that yet. It's one of her lack of curiosities that she didn't ask him and then he turned up anyway. So that's an interesting thing. I like that she is curious about how 
it works, that she wants, how Paris works. She wants to go out in Paris. She wants to do things, but she wants to know how to do it right. So she's really conscientious about that. And I think that that's a really a point in favor for Anna's curiosity that she writes these things down phonetically so she can figure out how to do it. And she watches so she knows to tip the person who rips her stub a second time. And it's really lovely of her. I do think that her anxiety is sort of like, she doesn't want to go out unless she knows the script. And I do mm. think that is a barrier to curiosity. Like sometimes yeah. you just have to go and do the thing. That's the only way you're going to learn. And she won't do that, which I think makes life harder for her than it needs yeah. to be. It's hard when you're young. Because there isn't a right way to be a person. Like there isn't That's a right true. way to, like you can just go into Paris and just like do your best. Like it doesn't really matter. But she's got such a big hang up about like being American and all these things, which speaks more to her her issues I think yeah I will say that that's a really common feeling for young American travelers that they just like oh gosh please don't note me even even that I've now that I've been in Australia for like you know almost two decades I still sometimes people go oh your accent where are you from and I'm just like I don't want to have this conversation for the bajillionth time because it's gonna come down to someone saying what about that lack of gun control or can you believe this happened or Trump hey and then sometimes I just want to be like you know what I am trying to buy coffee can I just not have this conversation right now it's just yeah. not right like you do feel very self-conscious because it's a country that has so much cultural implication to it you don't want to advertise yourself as being from there because it's an awkward conversation a lot of the time so I hear Anna on that I will say as someone who is South African and had a former South African accent I felt that as well people have a lot of opinions about South Africa oh especially in Sydney they definitely do and it's not very flattering at all the other day at work someone's like Jen I just um I've never asked you how you feel about being a white South African I'm like what <laughs> what do you mean you've never asked like why are you asking me now like why would that ever Go be a away. question you would ask someone? How do you feel about being what you are? And like, I always laugh at that line and, and mean girls where she's like, oh my gosh, you can't just ask why someone's white because that's literally <laughs> happened, like legitimately happened to me. It's high school. Someone was like, if you're from Africa, why are you white? I'm like, I love mean girls. It's very accurate. It makes me laugh too. I do disagree with math being the same in every language though. Like I don't like that. Like that is not my experience as someone who went from learning math in one language and then having to go do it in another language. It's incredibly difficult. So that is the only thing I will fault Mingles for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that there are definitely different ways of speaking. Like did you see the one about the I'm after having tea conversation how it's different in Irish English I think that there's mm. a lot of concepts that are mathematical that translate linguistically that don't translate across to maths so fair enough I, I pay that that sounds reasonable I lost track of where we were I'm on a definite um, no we were just talking about <laughs> being American in Paris we were talking about Anna's anxiety and yeah, being an American in Paris. I'm, I think just to go back to the theme of youth, I think youth is such a fragile thing. The innocence of youth is so fragile, right? And we, it's so easily shattered by like life actually coming in and you know, you as a mum will try and shield your kids from life for as long as you can, like oh, yeah. protect that innocence, right? And I think we see that kind of being shattered at the end of the section because like Sinclair gets this phone call, which is horrible for him, but it's also yeah. kind of traumatic for his mates who then see him go through this horrible thing. Yeah. So this innocence of childhood this innocence of youth is shattered by this mortality which is horrible when you're that young and you only have the one parent that you really trust it can be really terrifying to think that that one parent is dying or sick or might not be there for you when you're a kid you need to take for granted that your parents are going to be your supports like you need to not think about them getting sick or dying or having any health issues it's really really scary to realize that you could be on your own before you're ready mm. I am um, I thought that there was some youth in Anna's admission about her inexperience but also the way that she framed it made me laugh I kind of love that she has this rule about like if I would be too embarrassed to tell my child who their father was then I'm not going to have anything to do with them I was like that's a really sensible rule I like that I had a similar rule when I was a teenager which was I don't want to be a teen mother so this is not happening until I'm not a teenager good work gotta draw the line somewhere mm. I do feel for Sinclair that's really hard to be so far away from someone that you love when they're going through something rough yeah did you have any tangential marginalia? Um, I was just going to say, I love that bit where she talks about going to the cinema and she says on page 117, some people are finicky about going to the theatre alone, but I am not. And I'm like, same girl. I love going to the theatre on my own. Like big fan of going to the movies by myself. Big fan of going to like stage shows by myself. I really don't care. I'll go anywhere by myself. So I'm like really into that, you know, that she appreciates going mm. on her own. I will say that she's like, oh, it's everyone's so quiet in the theatre and in Paris I'm like are they rowdy at American cinemas is that a thing because I will literally never go if that is the case no 
not rowdy, but definitely more like whispering and there's more food sounds because you buy the expensive foods, so you're going to eat the expensive food. I think my favorite cinema experience was actually here in Australia when I went to see the first Twilight movie and we went to a midnight showing and so like the minute Edward came on screen, everyone was like, ooh! It was full oh of like gosh. preteen girls and it just made me laugh and laugh and laugh. I saw this TikTok last night about someone who'd gone to a overnight Twilight marathon and oh it was gosh. people just like quoting along, cheering when Edward came out, like all these things. I was going to send it to you actually. Amazing. I want to do, let's do that. Where's there one here? Let's, let's find a Twilight-a-thon. I went to a Twilight marathon in Sydney at the Princess Theatre, I think in Newtown or wherever it was, um, with a bunch of people from uni, my master's class. I don't know why, we were, ju- like, we were being ironic about it and then we went to this midnight screening and I'm like, guys, we are no longer being ironic. <laughs> like, this is, we're just here now. This is not irony yeah. anymore. Like, we can't pretend. Oh, I went to the cinema the other day and it was... Oh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And oh, the yeah. people in the cinema were so freaked out by everything that was happening. Like, they were just, like, out loud gasping and being like, what the? It was amazing. It was, like, constant narration of the... It was a very interactive cinema experience, mm. which I've never had before. So I was like, hmm, intriguing. Yeah, I can't remember what movies in the U.S. were like. I do know that if you're a movie on a, a base, like an army base, navy base, you have to stand for the national anthem and then you watch the movie. That's the thing that happens. Okay. Because I went to see Star Wars with Bethany in Japan, and so you have to stand for the national anthem. That was the thing I was like, this is a weird departure from my normal viewing. Intriguing. Always good to see a Star War with Bethany. That was my only tangential. Did you have tangential marginalia? Yeah, I had a few. Um, I also love her movie love. I love that she waxes poetic about cinema. Uh, page 102. Has there ever been a more beautiful word? My heart soars as we pass the colorful film posters and walk mm-hmm. through the gleaming glass doors. I get this. This is how I felt for the longest time in any bookstore and a good fabric shop where you're just like, ooh, the possibilities. Something good is going to happen. Not to my wallet, but to everything else. <laughs> I love that feeling of like anticipation that you're going to experience something good. Gigs as well, when you're going to a gig and you're really looking forward to it. There was a part on page, a line on page 133 that made me laugh. I whip out my hand sanitizer and squeeze a glob into my hands. This girl was ahead of her time. I thought that as well. I'm like, wow, this is very COVID appropriate. <laughs> yes. I'm like, she's been in her apartment for two and a half years, but that's okay. She's got movies. She'll be fine. And there was a great moment of foreshadowing on page 102. It's hard enough being temporarily separated from Bridge, but I can't imagine how awful it would be if she ditched me completely. Hmm, I wonder what's going to happen at, like, say, Christmas time? Hmm. Um, and then there was one more thing that I thought was really interesting. Oh, I just wanted to talk about Dave a little bit. He's the worst. He negs her. He steals her notebook. He's doing the, I'm pulling your pigtails to let you know I like you thing, but he's actually the worst. And I just wanted to flag that Dave is actually the worst. I do think Sinclair is really rude about his name. And I'm like, it's unnecessary for you to carry on like this. Like, I get that you are just like not liking Dave because like, he's a bit of an idiot. And also you like, obviously you don't want Anna to think he's cool. Yeah. But also don't do that. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Again, youth, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You make fun of people's names, which is not something they can help. The rule is you can't make fun of things about people that they can't help. You can sort of make fun of their choices that they make, but only Yeah, that's within their control, so. And all the romance stuff, of course, I love it. Like, it's totally my jam. I love how she just wants to touch him and she realizes it. And it's like this awareness, like, I just want to feel his skin. I want to feel his freckles. I want to touch the inside of his wrist. I'm like, yes, I'm there with you. A frisson. Yeah, yes. The opposite of the ick. I hear a child zooming around. How is he zooming around with a broken leg is the question I have. He hops really fast. Oh dear. That's really terrible. I think that was it for my um, tangential marginalia. Cool. Um, Did you have an in-depth marginalia? I do. So my in-depth marginalia is on page 108. And so this is right after the cinema trip. She's had this frisson with our dear friend uh, Etienne. And so, yeah, they're like separating and she's talking about how they do this little awkward wave and mm. they don't really talk about it. And she says, page 108, besides, he has Ellie. He doesn't need me. So Anna's like thinking about how they don't address this moment and what that means. So I think it relates to the themes because it's a lack of curiosity in a way, because without examining it too closely or talking about it, this feeling can just remain in the dark to an extent and she can pretend it doesn't exist. It's like mm. a protection mechanism. And I think if she was more curious 
curious about her feelings and her behavior, it could actually save her some pain in the long run. But mm. um, that's also just youth, like the fact that she's not willing to do that. So yeah. it's something that it comes from experience and with time. Um, I chose this specifically because she frames it as he doesn't need me, which I think is very yeah. telling. She's focusing on the need. And in the way she describes her relationship with her mum and her younger brother, it also feels like that is a relationship based on need and even Bridget in a way. So it's something that I personally have done a lot of work on in therapy, this belief that you have to be useful to people in order to be loved. If they don't need you, what's the point of you? And if they don't need you, they'll leave you. So in my case, my driver was like, if people don't need me, they'll forget me. I had this big issue about being forgotten. And I think going forward, it's just a good reminder that you don't have to perform for people to care about you. You don't have to do things for them or solve their problems or always be at someone's beck and call. The right people will love you regardless of what you do for them because mm. simply being who you are, you simply existing enriches their life. And that's magical. So don't settle for people who make you feel like you have to work for their love. You are enough as you are. That is a complete picture. Let's keep that in mind as we go forward. Yes. Our value is not in our utility, our productivity, what we provide for or offer others. It's intrinsic no. and unquantifiable. We are whole and useful and valuable exactly as we are. You definitely are. Sorry if I've Aww. ever just like forgotten to talk to you. No, 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 that's not what it is. Like, I genuinely, like Anna, I genuinely think it comes from having left my clan, basically, my family, mm. my friends, when I was very young, like I was 13, when we moved to Australia. And I think I very much felt like everyone moved on without me. And I was in this new environment where I didn't yeah. know anyone, where I didn't want to be. I was incredibly depressed. I was really struggling. And everyone else just moved on with their lives and no one reached out. But in their mind, I'm the Ellie. Yeah. You know, she's too good for us. She's left us. She's moving on. And that's why I always think of that dichotomy between those two situations about how yeah. the person who leaves has it just as hard as the people who get left. And so I just thought, you know, I, I was forgotten. And if I keep being useful to people, they won't forget me. But that's not how worth is ascribed. That's not what's actually happening. So yeah. it's just important to keep that in mind. If it helps, I just put my friendships on pause. I'm like, oh, well, I haven't talked to that person in a while. But, like, I assume that things are the same they were and I'm happy to catch up. Like, I don't love them any less for time having passed. No. And, like, my favorite friendships are the ones where I go months and months without talking to someone. And then I'll be like, oh, that reminds me of them. And then I'll just send them a message. And it's like, you have no, t no time has passed. Like, I love those friendships. I find it hard with friendships that you need to tend constantly. Like, they, they take yeah. a lot out of you. So I love friendships. But, I, like, yeah, I ha have done a lot of work in therapy. So I no, I no longer feel that way. But it's something that I had to acknowledge within myself, you know? Yeah, that's a hard one. I think other people also feel like that. So just wanted to call it out. For sure. And so much of my parenting is need-based. Like I am needed to do so many things. And sometimes it's exhausting, but mostly I find it really satisfying. So at some point when my kids are a little more independent, I will have to answer that in myself too. <laughs> so mm. not sure I'm ready for that yet. It's okay. I'll be there for you. Don't worry. I got you. Thanks. Um, did you have any in-depth marginalia? I did. Um, so I wanted to talk about also on page 108 where she and Josh are talking. So I decided to ask Josh a question before he can ask me one. And I mentioned before that I thought that this was kind of weaponizing curiosity as a deflection of vulnerability. It's really she doesn't want to talk about her dad because talking about her dad really brings her down and it makes her think that like, oh man, actually everything still sucks and I'm still stuck here and I can't make any of the choices that I want to make for myself. She is making the best of a bad situation, but she's also still kind of like bummed out about it. I think that it relates to the themes in that it shows that she is curious about her friends, especially the ones who aren't as transparent or forthcoming, especially Josh and Rashmi. They're way more opaque than, say, Meredith and Sinclair. Um, she takes the opportunity to avoid Josh asking these questions about her life to focus on him, but it becomes a really nice moment of connection between them. Like, she understands a little bit more about him, and she's able to ask him about his art and his future career and his family. So even though she was avoiding being vulnerable, she actually made a really nice connection because she was receptive, which I think is really good. Mm. So what it reminds me of in my life, uh, as you all know by now, I have ADHD. So my native method of conveying care for people falls toward one of three poles generally. One, I have experienced the similar thing, so I will interrupt you, tell you about it in exhaustive detail so that you know I can empathize, because I've also experienced this thing. Two, I love you, and I see that this is a problem for you, so I'm going to spend a lot of energy solving it for you, whether you want me to or not. <laughs> Three, I'm going to ask you all of these questions, which might derail you from actually telling your story, and it might also sound like I'm playing devil's advocate, but it's going to give me context so that I can better understand the situation. Um, now, obviously, none of these are, like, ideal, but it is something that I am aware of and trying to work on. 
And this is a thing that I have had in my, my head this year, which is don't just do something, stand there. So being present for people that I love is a lot more useful than being like, right, you've brought this to me, I will solve it without actually asking, do you want me to solve it? Or do you just need me to listen? Going forward, I want to note that I also deflect when I feel vulnerable. Um, that's why this line hit home for me. I would rather bring the conversation to anything else than say, yes, I'm struggling, or yes, I feel bad, or yes, something, something, not perfect, happy, cheerful, Jen. So I have always thought that this was an asset that I'm interested in other people, that I'm curious about other people's lives. But I do want to be mindful that if I'm asking, am I asking because I'm curious? Or am I asking because I'm just trying to avoid being vulnerable? So that's what I'm thinking about. That is interesting. It's interesting that you can do that kind of self-reflection and see that. And in a way, I'm kind of like, well, why should you have to change the way that your brain works? Like, why do you have to, like, self-moderate? It seems unfair to put that kind of labor upon yourself, but... I think it's very frustrating for people who aren't used to me uh, trying to connect with me and they don't know how I work. I think that that's the thing I worry the most about. Everybody who knows me and loves me is aware of these things about me. I think we just need to all be uncomfortable. I, this is yeah. what I love about Becky Chambers' books, right? Like she has this world of all these mm. different alien species and they've just ex accepted that no one's ever going to be comfortable because we have to find a baseline that kind of works for everyone, which means yeah. it doesn't favor anyone species or any one person and so like this idea that if you are neurodiverse you have to conform to be a neurotypical behavior like why why don't we just create a new world where neurotypicals and neurodiverse people can meet each other in the middle where everyone is a little bit uncomfortable like surely yeah. that is the fairer situation yeah so yeah what is it don't ascribe malice to behavior like just as don't ascribe don't assume that someone's coming from a bad place like if you're asking questions or trying to fix something don't be like oh she doesn't care like that's a weird assumption to make but yeah but when people you're feeling do it, fragile and you're feeling like you just called a friend to unload and she's like well this can be solved by doing x y and z you're like no you're not hearing me i'm upset and they're going i am hearing you you have a problem that needs solving that's where the disconnect is which is why i start my conversations with you being like i just need you to listen but i'm gonna rant for the next 10 minutes you don't need to do anything just yes. listen to me. <laughs> like, yes tell me all the things i'm here to say that person is a jerk and they deserve to be stepped on yes <laughs> this is my role i understand it now thank you Oh, yeah. I love Becky Chambers. I just read her Monk and Robot books this week, and they were absolutely divine, and I would highly recommend them. I also learned something about neurodivergence this week, or ADHD, I guess, this week, that I did not realize before, and mm -hmm. maybe this is not the case for all ADHD people, but I think I saw it on Tumblr, where this person was talking about habit forming and how that's mm -hmm. not a thing that ADHD people experience. And I'm like, what do you mean that's not a thing you don't experience? Like, no, you have to always make a decision. Everything is a decision. I'm like, what? You have to make a decision to go brush your teeth or make yep. your bed. Like, that is a conscious thing you think about. Yep. I would never do anything if I had to consciously <laughs> think about it. Which seems stupid to me that I didn't know that, but I was just like, oh my god, that's so many decisions you have to make. Why? What? It is so exhausting. And honestly, it is. Like, I was sitting in bed last night, and I'm like, I know what I have to do. I have to brush my teeth and write my journal and put this cup in the sink. And I was like, I cannot do all three of those things. I cannot do all three of those things. I just do not have the emotional energy to do all three of those things. And isn't that the stupidest? And I keep telling myself that I'm fine, but then I also beat myself up for not being able to do it. So in the end, I didn't journal, but I did get my cup in the sink and brush my teeth. I do have to choose yeah. it every night. <laughs> it's really friggin' annoying. That is so hard. Yeah. It's a lot of load to carry. Yeah, I was explaining this to my work friends because after I learned it, it kind of blew my mind. I'm like, guys, guys, this is what I've just discovered because we were talking about this, like all this stuff on TikTok about ADHD TikTok and people be like, this is what I do. This is ADHD behavior. And then my mate Lauren and I would be like, I do that though. And then we're like, are we ADHD? But we're not like, I am not. I've done all the tests. I am mm. so neurotypical. Like I'm the most typical of the neuros. It's actually embarrassing. Like it's just messed up. So it's just sometimes we just do these things. But I think don't forget ADHD and, and depression and anxiety have a lot of like shared traits. Yeah. But I do worry that there are people who maybe think, oh yeah, I have ADHD. The way that people be like, oh yeah, I have perfectionism. I'm like, no, you don't. You're not crippled by it. So like, oh yeah, I've got ADHD. I'm like, do you though? Do you? <laughs> or have you just seen like a meme and decided that you have ADHD? Not to like yeah. undercut that people yeah. who genuinely do get diagnosed as adults who don't, who didn't get the, the affirmation when they were younger. But It's very accepted, which does mean that it's also fashionable in a way to be like, oh yeah, ADHD. It's like when people start saying I'm so OCD every time I hear that I'm just like mm -mm. that's a life ruiner that one yeah. OCD is a serious disorder mm. it's one of those things that I'm just like don't say it you don't belong in that club and you don't want to my friend it's not a fun yeah. one but I think that there's more awareness now which is better on balance but I just think it's hard for people people like you like that sounds like really rough it is but that's why I love stimulants like I I'm able to do, like, since I started 
stimulants. No joke. I can do things like make my bed and actually get up in the morning and do the things that need doing without it being every day a sense that I am failing personally, exhaustively, constantly. Mm. The habits that I formed are because the first thing I do when I sit up is take my medication. The bed making is an interesting one because I have friends who say to me, your bed is always made. And I'm like, yeah, of course my bed is always, like I do not think about it. I don't know when my bed gets made. I think I just make it immediately when I get up. Like it's a completely unconscious habit. My mum got me to make my bed, I think from the age of six, I've been making my bed since I was six years old every day. So it's not something that I think about. Like I honestly consciously could not tell you when my bed gets made, but it's always made. So it must happen at some point. I love that. I make mine every day too. If I don't make it, I feel like my day hasn't started. It's a weird thing. It's become bundled into my like mental, the bed is made, I'm ready to go and do stuff. Like putting my shoes on. Yeah, because like when I was in a relationship, John would get up way later than me and he wouldn't make the bed and I can't go to bed unless the bed is made. So like yeah. I can't go to bed at night if my bed is unmade. I have to make the bed and then get into bed. <laughs> like it's just, can't do it. Yeah, an unmade bed is like, it's a mess. It feels dirty to me. If I make it, it's clean, it's nice. I don't know what that's about, but (laughs) like making it cleans it. I feel like I derailed us there. I apologize. No, no, no. It's okay. I love talking about ADHD. I will talk about it all day long. It's one of my special interests. (laughs) (laughs) You can talk about it in your Jen Wants to Know podcast. (laughs) Um, Did you have a character you'd like to spotlight this week? Yes, I want to spotlight Sinclair because he has complicated feelings for a girl and he's not sure if she likes him. And that is so obviously what's happening. He's trying to suss it out. He's trying to feel out what's going on. He really likes Anna, but he doesn't know if it's like enough for him to tank a relationship of a year in order to pursue it which is like honestly very sensible if you're having a crushing feeling on someone but you're still in a relationship like that does happen and I can see being like okay it's not gonna happen I'm gonna focus on my relationship like not every crush has to turn into a new relationship and I love that he's actually Mm. thinking about it I also just want to give him a little spotlight for like having a terrible dad and really loving his mom and like really being scared that she's gonna be you know that she's gonna die so he's going through it so a little love for Sinclair. You know what's interesting about a lot of reviews of this book, like peer reviews, is Mm. the idea that people view what he's doing as cheating. And I don't think having a crush counts as cheating. No, 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 no. Acting on the crush does. Deliberately starting a relationship with someone else without the other person's consent definitely does. But just having feelings. Crushes are normal. Crushes are human. Even just like friend crushes are a thing you can have. Mm-hmm. I think it's only cheating when they kiss at the end, but I also think that that is resolved very quickly. Hmm. How about you? Do you have anyone you want to spotlight? Yeah, so I'm actually going to spotlight Rashmi because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of her behavior comes from a place of real hurt. Like she is unhappy. She's lost her friend. She's in this weird dynamic with this new girl. Like everything has just changed for her. Yeah. And I think, you know, it comes from a place of hurt because it hurts being left behind. It hurts feeling like you've been replaced. And whether that's actually what's happened or not, feeling like that really sucks. It's a hard thing. It's something I have felt myself when I was a teenager. Like, it's just a horrible, horrible feeling. So I just thought she deserved a little spotlight. Like, that's why she's being so negative and sad, because it sucks. So, you know, that's valid. It's a valid feeling. Poor Rashmi. It does suck. It's hard out there for people whose best friends have moved on. Yeah. Well, next week we're going to be reading chapters 15 through 19 through the theme of acceptance. One of my favorite themes. I'm really excited about that. Fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for potting with me. I really appreciate the time we spend together and I love spending time with you. It's great. Always delightful to see you and great chats, like really great chats. So yeah, yeah, look forward to seeing what we get out of next week. Yeah, I can't wait. We'll see you then. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginally Potter is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginally Potter on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com. 